ain't always empty. Now, it's 12 minutes past 10. Join us on Facebook Live if you want to, because it's time to say hi to Steve Vines, because it's Thursday. Morning, Steve. How's it cooking? Good morning. Well, you know, it's cooking. That's all I can say. Yeah. On, on one burner. All right. So uh, do join us if you want to and say hi to Steve. Anything you want to get off your chest. Right. Where do you want to start? Well, I mean, I, I, I know people may have had their breakfast, but I am still um, thinking that uh, we need to start with Regina Ritt. Apologies. For I, knew, I knew that people, was coming. <laughs> people are still digesting. But right. um, okay. so... So what's going on here? Regina Ip, um writes um, a piece in one of the Quisling newspapers saying that um, time has come to clamp down on holders of uh, dual passports, i.e. Hong Kong, which in fact is China passport, and uh, any other foreign nationality, but particularly British passports, because nothing is more smelly than a British passport. Straight off the bat, Steve, that's going to go to the bottom of the queue, isn't it? Because so many people, in inverted commas, have got two passports. Well, this is where, this is (laughs) a classic case. Let's call it out. This is a classic case where personal ambition meets paranoia, meets all the rest of it. Let's deal with personal ambition first. Regina, this is the least well-disguised secret in history wishes to become chief executive. She can sniff like a bloodhound vulnerability. So she knows that the incumbent, somebody who listeners may be aware of called Carrie Lamb, I don't know, something like that. The dogs have been released on Carrie Lamb. You can see now, and it's not a coincidence, that there's a flow of criticism of her from the um, so-called pro-China camp, it's not so-called, it is the pro-China camp. Mm -hmm. And she is in a situation where the continuation of her uh, life as chief executive is very much in question as the party decides who will be the next candidate. Regina Ip, who's tried to be the next candidate twice already, is going for a third one. And she wants to prove her credentials to the bosses up north. And what better way of doing it by talking about the very thing that that absolutely appeals to their paranoia, which would be foreigners, which would be foreign passports, which would be accusations of dual nationality. Why does this matter in the case of the coming chief executive election? Well, number one, Carrie Lamb is vulnerable because both her husband and her two sons hold British passports, which means that she herself so many people are vulnerable steve i mean it's not just the chief executive well no but yeah. i think i think uh, i'm trying to see this from Ms. Ip's you. point I of view you. she she's focusing but you're quite right she's not she's not unique i mean the secretary for justice is in this um same situation this secretary for security is in this same situation go down the list and you'll fill up the albert hall or in hong kong's place the convention center so there's lots of them who are at it. But but what she wants to feed into is the general paranoia that exists in Beijing over foreigners, saying, ooh, you know, dual nationality, dual loyalty, less insufficient loyalty to the motherland. It's I mean, if you're gonna play your political cards, and boy, is 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 Regina uh, Regina it good at playing her 
political cards. Well, Steve, one of our listeners, Alvin's come up with the perfect um, PS, if you like, to your point this morning. He says, could someone send Regina more hair salon spa vouchers to keep under control? <laughs> got to take this seriously, Alvin. Come on. I, actually, I volunteer. He is. <laughs> I volunteer. <laughs> but, but just to continue this, so, so she's dealing with a receptive audience. You've got a paranoid um, leadership in Beijing who thinks that Basically, you know, everyone's out to get them, particularly foreigners. Um, that's despite the fact that everybody in Hong Kong apparently supports the national security law, is extremely happy with the situation as it is. But nevertheless, we hear we hear we we hear that there are people who don't quite share that view. So now we see that this has this has gone down very well in Beijing, and there's talk that the next meeting of the National People's Congress Standing Committee will indeed address this thing. But how will they address it? It's quite interesting. Uh, one of the reasons why they find it so hard to address this is precisely the point you made, which is so many of these people are vulnerable if you're going to start messing it with the question of dual nationality. Because you look through the leadership of Hong Kong Almost to a man and a woman, they have extensive connections through their closest relatives with foreign nationals, which means that they too can, through spouse passports or whatever, obtain foreign nationality. I mean, that goes from the first chief executive, Tung Chiwa, whose children have American passports. It goes through Carrie Lam, who, who, whose relatives have it, the Secretary for Justice, as I mentioned. They're all at it. They're all at it. But of course, they don't like it when the when ordinary people get eligibility to hold dual passports. So now they're saying, or rather Regina Ip is saying, and they're going, hmm, this sounds like a good idea. How about this? We give them a deadline to rid themselves of these ghastly foreign passports. Otherwise, we'll strip them of, citizens, of Chinese citizenship. And that means that they won't be able to vote, they won't be able to have automatic rights of residence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this isn't draconian. This is whatever comes above the level of draconian. Let's say hello to Victoria Anne, who Steve... I... Can I just finish that point? Oh, yeah. Can I just finish that? What Sorry. it will do is it will, it will, I think, almost inevitably accelerate an exodus from Hong Kong We've seen the immigration figures going up. We don't have a complete picture. Yeah. Anecdotally, I doubt there's anybody listening among our two listeners who doesn't know of someone who's talking about immigrating. So it will accelerate um, the, 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 this avalanche of immigration if that's what they want, if they want to empty Hong Kong of all the people who aren't fully on board with the new order. Well, good luck. Good luck. That's certainly one way of doing things. But it does slightly contradict the official line, which is everybody is happy. Everybody thinks the national security law is a wonderful thing that's restored order. So, you know, make, take your pick. Do you believe your own propaganda or don't you? I'm not quite sure where we are with that now. Yeah. Sorry, you... You just did it. No, no, let me finish. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, um, let me finish. Yeah, uh, Victoria Ann brings up you're an not, interesting you're point. You're accusing me of being Nigel Farrell. <laughs> 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 she says the irony is that she herself is a benefactor of that country, education, etc. Actually, Steve, does this count? Because she went to Glasgow University. 
Oh, but not just that, she was a holder of a British passport, but, but because of her vaunting ambition, the same with Carrie Lamb, she gave it up so she could take up um, the position of a of a of a policy secretary. That was a condition yes, of that. So all of these people virtuously gave up their British passports um, for in in the interests of career advancement. I mean, I I think it's a wonderful. Rouse did it, and he ended up presenting back chat. So perhaps Regina <laughs> can present back chat. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's always a sad example. <laughs> But anyway, but, but, but my point is this, is this isn't, of course, you can't see these things in isolation. This is at a time when um, all indications point to the fact that China is preparing to not only curb the, um, the whole business of who holds what passport. I mean, that, that's, that's a big issue. I'm not, not saying it anything. But, you know, the indications are that the next meeting of the NPCC, blah, 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 um, is going to tighten the election rules, effectively disqualifying all real opposition. Purely objectively, Steve, would you say this is a logical thing for a government, an authority in these positions to do, just to say, well, choose which side of the fence you are, purely objectively, if you're, if you're holding well, a position of power? It, it is, and, you know... If you, if you really want to take a step back, you can say this is unobjectionable because many countries have a rule. I mean, let's be fair about this. Many countries have a rule, including the United States, incidentally, mm. which says that, that, that if you want to be, you know, part of our country, you've got to be just holding our passport. And that's fine. I get that. I don't particularly think it's a good idea. I come from Britain where... They don't have that particular rule, but never mind. Each country has its own legal system. But the point is, the situation in Hong Kong is not the same as it is in many other countries, mainly because so many people, because of fears and because of their need for some form of insurance policy, have indeed acquired foreign nationality. Mostly they put it in a drawer and they say it's there as an insurance but, you know, with so many people, particularly in Hong Kong's elite, let's not be mincing our words about this. Hong Kong's elite, wall to wall, have this insurance policy. What is so offensive to the Communist Party is that it's now being extended to people who aren't members of the elite, mm. who are ordinary citizens, who might be, um, no, no, might be, who are able to acquire a British passport through the new BNO scheme, which will start registration at the end of this month. So from their point of view, there's a sort of urgency in the matter, which is that registrations start at the end of the month. Yeah. But there's also the political imperative to tighten everything in Hong Kong, to tighten control over people. And indeed, they will say, well, you know, if a few hundred thousand people leave, they're probably, you know, they're probably not the sort of people we want. And anyway, we can fill up those empty gaps with people from the mainland. So is there a problem? I don't think so. 
Let's go to a couple of comments, Steve, about the kind of knock-on effects of what you've brought up. I've got an email from Alan about passports, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, Bright brings up an interesting point on our Facebook live feed. He says the people with the BNO are the ones who are leaving. They're the ones with the money, the ones who can set up businesses. And this makes more unemployment in Hong Kong. What do you think to that? Well, that, that, that indeed is possible. I mean, incidentally, the whole point of, of BNO's scheme is it, it, it is actually less elitist than other forms of immigration schemes. I mean, in most places where Hong Kongers would wish to go, they need quite considerable resources to be able to leave. But yes, there will be a knock-on effect. If mm. people who businesses leave, if some of the most talented people in Hong Kong leave, why on earth does anybody seriously believe this will have no consequences for Hong Kong. The brightest and the best go, and there are no and consequences then. to that. Well, stone me. Yeah. Hello, Alan. He says, while they are purging and disqualifying unreliable candidates for office, they will obviously pay attention to fixing the voting roll first. They're going to add a million or so mainland residents who will vote as if, as they are told. I expect that owners of foreign passports may also be expunged, both locally born BNO and foreign citizens. He concludes, yes. Steve points out so many Hong Kong um, Aristos have foreign passports, but it's pretty sure Beijing plans to sideline them anyway and install mainland-born Bauhinia Party to be the colonial ruling class. So that may not be an obstacle. Thank you, Alan, and thank you, Bright. Well, that, uh, actually, this raises a whole lot of very interesting points, that, that, that message. First of all, explicitly, they are talking about purging the electoral rolls of people who, who hold dual nationality. And indeed, the development of things like the Bohemia Party does indicate that the leadership in Beijing is getting fed up with the motley crew of people who run the so-called pro-China camp in Hong Kong. I mean, these are the people who this week, um, you know, the, the, the remaining um, rubber stamp LegCo people who couldn't even be bothered to attend, a, 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 who couldn't even be bothered to raise questions when $218 million of expenditure was going through the chamber. They're just going, oh, we know they had rules about asking questions. Oh, you know. So, I mean, they're dealing with people of low, low caliber. And they're saying to themselves, my goodness, we've got a country of 1.3 billion people. I think we could find within the ranks of the 1.3 billion something better than what we've got in Hong Kong. Are we seeing more empty seats in the LegCo chamber, Steve? Well, it's not so much empty seats. Actually, it, not turning up empty way. seats, you know. Yeah, there is certainly that. They certainly, I mean, the whole, I mean, you've got to feel sympathetic. The whole point of the pro-China camp in, in LegCo is they hate to do work, most of them. So, you know, half of them have usually not turned up for committee meetings. You know, the kind of hard slog thing. I'm not talking about the, the weekly uh, full co session. I'm talking about the, the meetings where things really get done. And in the old days, when you had an opposition, most of the people who attended those meetings, which is why they were so exercised about them, mm. came from the opposition camp. Well, that, that cushion of numbers no longer exists. So they're being set told, do you know what? You're elected. Well, they're not elected, most of them. They're appointed as, as legislators. Um, you've got to do the job. And they're going, oh, but we've never done it before. Oh, this is awful. 
do you mean we have to go to LegCo every day? They're just not used to having to do this level of work. They think that it's a sort of grace and favor job where they come in every now and again and vote according to instructions and then go back home. But if they are the only people left in the chamber, they actually have to do some work. And as we've seen, they're not up to it. They're really not up to it. They miss these opportunities to look at expenditure proposals and when they do look at them, they go, oh, we better vote for that because uh, our instructions are to vote for anything that's put in front of us. You mentioned, Alan mentioned the Bauhinia party in his, in his email, Steve. I mean, it, it, you know, we saw some news about this a few weeks back. Oh, there's another bunch of guys, da, 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 new party. But everybody's saying, well, there's more reason, there's more sort of thinking behind this now. Where does this leave people like the DAB, in your opinion? Well, I think... Honestly, I think this is a watershed moment for not just the DAB, but for all of the people in the pro-China camp. I mean, there is profound dissatisfaction with them in Beijing. Remember, it was people from the DAB who told them that the Hong Kong public, there was a vast silent majority who would assert itself when it came to the last elections we were allowed to participate in uh -huh. here in Hong Kong, which is the district council elections over a year ago. Uh -huh. So they're going, you know, they can't even tell us what's going on in Hong Kong. They're giving us bad advice. We've, we've got to find a better way of finding local quizlings to do the job. And that seems to have come to pass. We're going to go to the news in just a few seconds, Steve. Um, something to put in the bag for later on, if you want to. Hello to Colin, who says, thoughts on the small house policy decision. This comes back and back and back, and yesterday it came back. Anyway. Very important. Yeah, let's talk about you it. You want to do that? All right, then. Just one. What else have you got let's on the list it. after the news? We, we certainly could talk about that. I think we also um, need to talk about the um, these very, very worrying developments with the Sinovac vaccine that apparently is going to be given to Hong Kongers, but tests are now showing has an efficacy which is way below that of other vaccines. And very conflicting reports from all sorts of different countries, but we will come, we'll come back to that after the news. If you want to get in touch, Morning Brew at rthk.hk. Well, 29 minutes to 11 o'clock right now. We've got 10 or 15 more minutes with Steve Vine. So off you go. Well, just just before the break, we, 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 um, uh, Phil, you mentioned this, this email we got about this very important matter of the uh, appeal court, the court of first appeal. Um, That's them now. Sorry, I'm going get, <laughs> to get rid of that. Um, the court of first appeal um, disallowing uh, um, the, the the previous uh, sorry overturning the previous judgment on the the um, small house policy. Yes. Remember, this is the policy, which in the year I have to keep saying this because it's astonishing. In the year twenty twenty one, gives exclusive rights of giving a free piece of land to males, not to females, who are classified as being indigenous. Uh, Hong Kongers. It's a small group of people, mm -hmm. uh, some of whom are not even living in Hong Kong, but they have a right to uh, get hold of a 700 square foot plot of land for, oh, that's right, nothing. I mean, it's astonishing 
that this policy is even on the statute books any longer, let alone being upheld in the courts. I don't blame the courts, incidentally. If this is the law, it's the law. I blame the government for not getting rid of the policy altogether. But would they have the guts to do that? You know, is the Pope likely to become an imam? I mean, those two things are equally probable. So we have this situation now. It could still go to the Court of Final Appeal, mind you. So there is another avenue. But we have a situation now where they have reasserted this corrupt, and I say it's corrupt because it's led to endless corruption among people who've taken up these rights, not to live in the houses, which is what was they were designed to be. Oh, that was the purpose of the scheme, which incidentally was supposed to be temporary. It was supposed to address a particular housing problem in the new territories. I mean, that all that's long um, outlived its shelf life and has become a, a, a corrupt means of handing out free land to very influential, well-connected people in the new territories. So we're back with that. It, it will, as um, various peoples have said, and it's been reported by RTHK, it will, it will play enormous havoc with the government's plans to create housing. more land yes. for housing. So, you know, on every level, it's, it's, it, it, it's an act which encourages sexual discrimination against women. It's an act that prevents a full development of land for, pocket, for, for, for the use of everybody in Hong Kong. And it's downright wrong. I mean, you know, it, it shouldn't be on the statute books any longer. But as you just said, the law is the law. I think the one thing on this, Steve, that's bothering a lot of people is very simply, somebody sent me a message, it just said goodbye wetlands, goodbye countryside, because this is on government land and or private land, right? It's, it, yes, exactly that. And it's also, which is very worrying to a lot of people in Hong Kong who are concerned about the environment, it, it also concerns enclaves in the country parks, which again, we thought the government was going to be more proactive in preserving the integrity of the country parks. But you know, this ruling opens the door to much more development in the country parks as well. So at every level that you look at this, it's a very, very alarming development. I'm not surprised that people have been jumping up and down about it. You're talking now like it's a fait accompli, but a few seconds ago you sort of hinted at appeals and stuff. I mean... <laughs> The dog's up there. He's appealing now. I'm annoyed by this. I'm sorry about that. But, you know, you can understand why they're upset. Um, I think... I think it, it, it isn't quite a fait accompli because, as I say, there is still the possibility of a reference to the Court of Final Appeal. The problem is, is that the administration, who should be the people who refer it to the Court of Final Appeal, would they have the guts to do that? I very, very much doubt it. I think that's very unlikely. So this is a bitter blow for the people of Hong Kong. I don't think there's any other way of describing it. Well, here and now, this is all but breaking news, so let's see what the next few days bring along, Steve. Indeed. Where, where else do you want to go? Thanks for Colin for bringing that well, up, by the way. What, what do you want to do? Well, also in the category of break, breaking news are these latest developments with the Sinovac virus. Uh -huh. the, sorry, the Sinovac vaccine. Yes. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> vaccine. Um, uh, which um, is the vaccine that the Hong Kong government is insisting it will be distributing very shortly in Hong Kong, despite the fact that we now see from these tests in Brazil 
that its efficacy at around 50, just over 50%, only barely meets the minimum level which is required to certify vaccines of this kind. It's true, the vaccine is also being employed in Turkey. Well, they're having a hoo-ha about it, as you heard in the news as well. Indeed, and it's also going to be employed in Iran. Well, you know, good luck with all of that. But here again, we see politics taking precedence over medicine in fighting the virus. In medical terms, it seems absolutely stark staring bonkers to rely on a vaccine whose, um, whose, whose effectiveness is very much in doubt. And this is why, and we saw this earlier in the week, or rather at the end of last week, I think it was, there was a study done by the Chinese university, which indicated that vaccine, the, the likelihood of people taking up the vaccine in Hong Kong was phenomenally low compared to other jurisdictions. One is because people are worried about the efficacy of the vaccine. And secondly, because people are worried that the government simply won't tell the truth about these things. We were told that the Sinovac vaccine was going to be certified as ready for use. We were firmly told that would happen on the 21st of December. Mm. According to my calculations, we're at the 14th of January and no such thing has happened. In fact, no information has been furnished from the company itself, from the mainland, as to the efficacy of this drug. Now, Steve, these are free ones we're talking about here, aren't they? I mean, we could, go, are, we well, could go to the dock and say, can you jab me with Australia or America? If you can get supplies. Yeah, I mean, in, if in you theory, can get supplies, yes. This is the problem. I mean, the government has ordered... Um, one set of vaccines from Sinovac, another set of vaccines from Fubon, who are making it under licence for the German manufacturers. Right. And then there is indeed the prospect of a third supplier. But the public, the information in the public domain is this is just in the realm of intention. There's no, there's no indication that supplies of any other vaccine have actually been secured. So, you know, here we are, in the middle of a pandemic, and the government is playing politics with the source of the vaccine. Do you think they might not I mean, know some of these, sim- seriously, some of these, sim- we think, simple questions, they just might not know the answers right now? Like, well, it's funny that we haven't been told. Else in the world, no, I know, I know, I, mean, I know. You know look, this is, not a, this is not a case as Carrie Lamb likes to present it. Remember her infamous remarks a couple of weeks ago where she said people should not be prejudiced against a vaccine that comes from the mainland. It's not a case of that. What it's a case of is a lack of proper certification of the use of this vaccine. Mm -hmm. The other vaccines which are being applied in other jurisdictions right now have been tested, have been subject to the sort of peer review that gives people confidence in their efficacy. Sinovac is not in that situation. Its vaccine has not reached that stage of development. Whether it will eventually, I don't know. I'm not a medical expert. But I do know that the current state of knowledge does not give people sufficient confidence to go out and have this thing jabbed in their arm. And that is the reality of the situation. Do we know... um, uh, 
I was going to ask you about price. Is it expensive to have it done privately? I'm sure. We don't know. Yeah, right. I we mean, don't know. Ask the doctor, I, I, I suppose. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but I think, but I, I still think the issue is not so much whether oh. um, you will create a big divide, which I think you will, incidentally, between people who can afford to go to a, a, a private doctor and people who can't. But the question is, even if you can afford it, will those doctors have supplies? Because it needs to be approved first, says Victoria Anne. She says, so the private doctor's hands are tied and a lot of people are happy to pay for it. Yes, indeed, they are. But it needs to be approved first, but they need to get their hands on it as well. Remember, there is enormous worldwide demand for these vaccines. We're not talking in a vacuum. It's not just... Hong Kong that wants to vaccinate people. It's literally everybody on the planet wants to be vaccinated. So, you know, if you've got a government who are busy playing politics, saying, oh, we can only get vaccines from from from, from the mainland, you know, um, people should stop, stop moaning and whining about it and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it, it's very, very worrying because we've got to stop this pandemic in Hong Kong in the same way that people have to stop it everywhere else in the world Mm. everywhere else in the world there are problems there's no doubt about that you know hong kong government isn't a standout in its incompetence in dealing with this pandemic but they are a standout in in putting politics before medicine that i think is very worrying all right steve let's go to a couple of emails here let's say hello first of all to james he says how many passports has regina hip had or has i understand she gave up a canadian passport but what of her children the duplicity the mendacity he says lots of exclamation marks um who is writing the words coming out of carrie's mouth now this this nefarious pr company uh, consulum which is a firm made up of the disgraced pr firm which uh, defended dodgy families in south africa and saudi arabia i live in a village on an island that is subject to this corrupt village house policy and they have been increasing the rent greedy clowns we hoped for a fresh new year yeah, says James. Well, he's covered a couple of bases there, Steve. Um, a lot in that. <laughs> a quickie, a, yeah, a quickie here from Brett. Just a couple of lines. He says, waiting to see if anyone realises that the ruling on the small house policy helps justify the Lantau tomorrow ball stuff. <laughs> Brett, that actually is, is is a point I hadn't thought about, but it's a very good one because, of course, the justification for for pouring squillions of public money into this massive land reclamation program in Lantau is that it it is to meet housing needs, although it has been pointed out by many, many people that if there was more focus on developing the land that's available, let alone creating new land, you would go more quickly and more effectively towards securing the goal of producing more housing. So that's actually a very good point. All right, I want to wrap up. I want to give the final word here to Howard, who basically says, why is the vaccine rollout so delayed compared to, let's say, Israel, a country that has a population similar to Hong Kong's? Could it be that our leaders are worried about a widespread rejection of the Chinese vaccine? Why don't they just offer it to our, quote, patriots and let the West of us wait? That's from Howard. Oh, he's got a malicious, he's got a malicious thought there. He's not the Messiah, he's a naughty boy. Thank you very much, Steve. We'll be doing this again at the same time next week. 